This is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm your host, Josh Malden, and I'm here today with Adam Pryor, who is Associate Professor of Religion and Dean of Academic Affairs at Bethany College in Lindsburg, Kansas. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Hey, thanks, Josh. So we're here today to talk about your, your new book, Living with Tiny Aliens, The Image of God in the Anthropocene, which was published by Fordham University Press this past year, 2020. Uh, tell me a bit about the the main themes of the book and what led you to write it. Yeah, so uh, I, I wrote the book while I was uh, in residence at the Center of Theological Inquiry. Um, it was part of the project on the societal implications of astrobiology. The book uh, focuses in large part on biosignatures uh, and the ways in which scientific investigations of biosignatures affect um, our thinking about planetary responsibility and are thinking about within the Christian tradition, what it means to be in the image of God. Um, so linking those three pieces together, um, it's, a, it's an argument in constructive theology for imagining the image of God on a planetary scale. Maybe talk a bit about that, uh, I, the concept of the image of God in Latin, the imago dei that you talk about quite a bit in the book and, and where you see that sort of touching and interfacing with ecological thought. Yeah, so um, since my background is is mostly in theology and science, um, the Imago Dei is is really well trod territory, um, but it's usually framed in terms of a conversation between theology and physical anthropology, right? And so historically, there have been three, maybe four, but mostly three major models of thinking about this: uh, a substantial model in which what it means to be in the image of God is about your your mind or your soul. It's this quality. Um, there's a relational model that talks about what it means to be in the image of God in terms of either our relationship to God or our relationship to other people or both. Um, and then there's a third model um, of stewardship, right? Um, this notion that um, we were put into the garden in creation in order to care for all of the other creatures that had been made. Um, so my own argument falls closest to that, that third model, except for me, I think one of the, the big issues with thinking about the image of God is we have almost always tended to conceptualize it in these very individualistic terms. Even when we talk about it in a relational context, we're talking about the relationship between two distinct individuals. So when I was looking at astrobiology and using that as a frame to, to examine this doctrine, the piece that most struck me is that in astrobiology, we very rarely are talking about individual instances. We're almost always talking about entire species. Um, and so I wanted to use that way of, of framing an understanding of, of meaningful life uh, to, to reconceptualize this theological concept. Um, so for me, when I talk about the Imago Dei, it's in the book, it's, it's always something that we're living into as a species, not something any one of us possesses per se. One of the things you, you talk about in the book quite a bit is that this field that you're as a theologian working with astrobiology is not so much about finding alien life in the, in the universe, although maybe that's part of it, but more about what are the conditions that, re that are necessary for life to come to exist. Maybe speak to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is one of the, the pieces that as soon as you say you're doing a project on, on astrobiology, everybody immediately thinks about SETI um, or, or searching for extraterrestrial intelligence. And 
Um, one of the big pieces in the book that I want to drive home, and, and I think it's one of the most interesting things I've discovered from talking with astrobiologists, is that even if you didn't discover extraterrestrial life, the work of astrobiology would still be important, um, that there's, there's good work being done. And that's largely because you're looking at these, at these biosignatures, you're looking at planetary phenomena, um, you're looking at the very conditions by which life might emerge anywhere in the entirety of the cosmos not just instances of extraterrestrial life itself. Um, and so in that sense, astrobiology is a really big, not only in terms of like it explores the entire universe, but, but really big field in terms of the scope of what it wants to do. And I think that's important um, in religion and science conversations that can sometimes get so mired in, in very, very technical and specific scientific projects to, to take a step back and look at in the entirety of a field. Maybe talk a bit about this idea of the Anthropocene that you discuss in the book. The the Anthropocene is maybe the, the most controversial part and that some folks don't think we're actually in the Anthropocene. Um, but hmm. I would argue that really what you're looking at is that human beings have become part of the geological record. There are good reasons to say that our, uh, as homo sapiens and, um, with a certain technological capacity, millions and millions and millions of years from now, there will at least be a small stratigraphic blip of our indication of our existence, if someone were to, to stumble along. And that hasn't happened from human beings before. And so I think it's worth thinking about this very tenuous relationship that human beings have uh, with the environment around them. Often the Anthropocene sort of gets lumped in sort of in a broad way, just with climate change, and they, they become synonymous with one another. What we get out of a, a wide look at writings on the Anthropocene is this idea that um, it's really referring to the breakdown of a distinction between a built environment and a natural environment. And that what you're seeing is this idea that at its best, the Anthropocene puts human beings in the wider planetary landscape in an irretractable way. Mm -hmm. One of the other questions I wanted to sort of discuss is the role of theology in this conversation and what you see as why theology has a kind of stake in this, has something to contribute and so on. You talk a bit in the book about your own idea of how doctrinal theological symbols can actually be useful even outside of a single religious tradition. So even if they're Christian symbols, Christian theological ideas, they're not only relevant within the church or within a single tradition, but they can be relevant outside of it. So based on that point, I'd like to get you to speak more about where you see theology being relevant on this uh, conversation. I think there's a tendency um, to, to think about theological projects as being in-house procedures, right? Um, they're the ways in which folks who already uh, buy into a set of doctrines, symbols, constructs, um, argue with one another about the best interpretation of those structures. Um, I think what's really interesting about something like the image of God is that it has such a wide um, place in almost a, a sort of civic religious sense. Um, it anchors this very deep conception uh, that we have for respect for human life, often on an individual level, which is kind of not the way I'm playing with it, but, but I think really important. As, as somebody who sort of roots their theological thinking in a, a correlational method, to be able to articulate a meaningful symbol doesn't mean that that meaningful symbol only exists within a specific context. 
once it comes to be, it kind of takes on a life of its own. And we can't say that it just belongs to any singular tradition at that point. I think that's a really excellent grounding for theological work that wants to engage wider publics um, in specific ways. We don't have to agree about the exact meaning of the symbol to acknowledge the fact that it is meaningful in lots of different quote unquote religious traditions. That to me is a powerful way of doing theology outside of the context from which a symbol comes. Who are some of the folks you hope read the book in terms of audience? The book is is very much an academic monograph. So I'm I'm very hopeful that the folks who are in the in the Christian theology and science world um, will find it useful in terms of thinking about issues related to the image of God in a different way. I use the introduction of the book to talk about the I, I really think that this could be a, a methodological argument for different ways of doing interfaith work um, and thinking about interfaith studies. In principle, you could take a symbolic feature of nearly any tradition and then play it out in conjunction with a scientific tradition and talk about the public ramifications of that symbol where it's meaningful outside of the context of its originating tradition. So I would, I'm, I'm really hopeful there'll be some, some inter, interreligious or interfaith scholars who are interested in the work. And then I'm always curious if there is a, you know, a humanities driven scientist who wants to read the work and can really um, dig into whether or not the way in which the book communicates the science to wider publics is sufficient. Um, I think that's like a, a really important element of critique in work in religion and science or work in theology and science. Circling back to a kind of previous point you made, one of the key ideas I got from reading the book that I thought was really helpfully made was just that one of the insights you take from astrobiology is the extent to which a kind of individualism of, of the human being is is false. And instead that we we learn how dependent we are on our environment as as creatures. Yeah. And that got me thinking how you might have read the whole pandemic that we're going through in a different light, having written this book, because I, I assume it came out even before the, the pandemic hit. Yeah, it was it was largely finished uh, before the pandemic hit. And then I guess it, it actually like hit shelves, quote unquote, when nobody could go to a shelf. Yeah. Um, so the, the work really did shape my own thinking, I think not only in like a, a philosophical sense, but even in like a even down to an, a kind of administrative sense, um, right? So I, I have this administrative role now where I have to think about you know, classroom spaces and things like that. And if we really recognize the ways in which we're not our own uh, as, as individual persons, it, it changes the way in which you think about interacting not only with other human beings, right? But the spaces around you um, and how you wanna orient those. So when I think about the, the way this book shaped my, my thinking about the pandemic in particular, I think a lot about mask wearing, which was a big deal for us, the way it is for, I think, a lot of college campuses. Um, and I was really, I tried to be really adamant that we have to think about the ways in which people engage in certain practices or not uh, practices as expressions of anxiety that they feel in relationship to those who are around them. I just don't believe that a lot of people who don't wear masks are terrible people who really just want to hurt others or don't think this is real. I think they're deeply anxious about the way in which the world is changing around them. And that's probably a conversation that can be opened up um, if we want to take the time to do it. What I took from the book is that it's an argument for making slow, long-term relationships with people in small communities 
in order to affect the kind of change that we're going to need. Well, Adam, thanks for, for this conversation and thanks for uh, talking about your book. Again, Living with Tiny Aliens, The Image of God uh, for the Anthropocene. And it's good to talk to you again, having uh, you know interacted with you a few years back when you were at CTI. And uh, so thanks again for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's always great. <laughs>